Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is the Asian Madness Podcast. A podcast where we discuss all things true crime, morbid, mysterious, and odd from the Asian continent. I am your host, Jessica. Hello listeners and welcome to episode 59 of the Asian Madness podcast. Just a quick update before I begin this episode. First, I plan on taking a break around the end of the year, mostly around Christmas and New Year. We'll definitely be back though. Second, I plan to release two more episodes before said break. So it'll be episode 59 and episode 60. And there will be one more Patreon episode. While I'm glad 2020 is finally about to end, I kind of don't think 2021 will be that different, at least not at first. Let's hope these vaccines are the real deal and we can try to get back to the life we had, pre-COVID style. Enough rambling for now. So, this episode is a listener suggestion. Thank you, Tian Le, for writing me an email and for suggesting this case. I believe he wrote me sometime last year, and here I am finally getting around to it. Sometimes I get tons of cases from the same region, so I have to organize and spread them out a bit. Anyway, this is a pretty frustrating case, as they tend to be. A man who targeted those younger than him, those weaker than him, using weird tactics, luring them, and eventually taking their lives. Honestly, this case later on reminded me a bit of John Wayne Gacy. And maybe you can let me know if that rings true to you as well after you listen to this episode. This is the case of Huang Yong, a Chinese serial killer that literally dreamed about becoming a serial killer. The case is also known as the quote-unquote smart Trojan murder case, which I translated directly from Chinese. This man killed a total of 17 young men in the span of about two or three years. I do not have information on all victims, but I will provide whatever information I have. Let's begin. Let's start from the very beginning. The man we will be focusing on in this episode is a man named Huang Yong, and I will use his last name, Huang, to refer to him throughout the episode. He was born on November 18, 1974 in a small town called Pingyu in Henan Province, China. Fun fact! This is also the province where my mom's side of the family is from, so there is this very, very loose tie to me. So anyway, he had two older brothers growing up, and he was always seen as the weird one or the outcast, maybe because he was introverted and shy. Since his family was already struggling to make ends meet before his birth, 
they certainly struggled even more after he was born. They lived in a rural town. They mostly relied on crops and farm animals. So having boys in the family was generally a blessing. As you may or may not know, many places, and especially China, went through this phase of only wanting baby boys, especially those in rural places. Boys were seen as helpful in making ends meet whether it was to make money or to do some labor work. And having girls was considered a waste of life and space because they're too weak to work in the fields. And once they get married, they belong to their husband's household. In other words, raising a girl for all these years just to give her away feels like a waste of time and resource. Also, you throw in the whole men can carry on the family name thing then yeah, daughters are definitely less desirable. Is this preference still a thing? Most likely, in some places, yes. And most probably, in rural areas. Anyway, back to the story. As a young boy, he realized he really enjoyed drawing, and he seemed to have a talent for it. I don't really know if his family appreciated his talent, but I guess I would understand if they didn't really care for it, as they were probably too busy trying to feed the family. It just felt like Huang was more on the artsy side, and his personality and way of thinking seemed to be different from those in his family, or from those around him. Not really a spoiler, but yeah, he does turn out to be the odd one from the bunch. One day, when Huang was around 12 years old, a traditional folk activity was going on in the rural village he was at. I suppose these were fun events, where people could enjoy some type of entertainment, eat together, relax a bit, and socialize with their peers. Huang was very excited, and he rushed to check out the event with his friends. Turns out, they were playing a movie for everyone to watch, and considering it was the 80s in rural China, this was something no one wanted to miss out on. I tried to find the exact movie they played that day, but all I came up with was a rough translation, something along the lines of a free man. I have no idea where the movie's from, when it was filmed, or what it was about. The only thing I know is that the movie had something to do with killing people, or maybe a serial killer. So tell me, when you watch a thriller or a horror movie where people get killed, how does that make you feel? I'm going to be extremely presumptuous and say that most of us probably acknowledge that, ah, yes, interesting movie, but killing is bad, it's a no-no, and then we kind of just move on from the movie because it was just a movie. And what do we usually feel when we see people kill each other in the news? Again, we probably know that it's wrong, and we may feel a certain level of despair, sadness, or even anger towards the perpetrator or the situation. Well, Huang was definitely the odd one out. After watching that one movie, that one day when he was only a preteen, all he could think about was how cool it would be to become a serial killer. I get it, sometimes younger kids or Teenagers have weird ideas of what is cool and what is not cool, but they tend to kind of grow out of it, right? Knowing what I know now, I wonder if things would have been different if he never watched that movie. Probably not, though. 
something else would have probably brought these feelings out eventually. Huang did not seem to have many friends growing up, maybe because he was the odd one, and maybe because he was an introvert as well. I guess it would be very hard for others to connect with him, and that could also lead to him living in his own world most of the time. His parents and older brothers often left home for work, going to work in other towns or provinces, so Huang was mostly on his own even when he was at home. To sum him up as a person, he was a loner who had wild thoughts about killing people, and he loved to draw. I mean, having thoughts about killing people is not necessarily a crime, since it really comes down to whether you act on it or not. But what holds people back from acting on it? I bet everybody has said something along the lines of, I'm going to kill that person if they do this or that. But how often do we actually mean it and do it? During Huang's later schooling years, he went on to a technical school to study engineering. As time went on, Huang was eventually bored with his life. Despite what went on in his head, he seemed to live a simple, rural life, working here and there, studying, sleeping, repeat. Also, it was back in the 90s in a rural setting. I can imagine he would be super bored, especially if he didn't really have friends. He went on to work as an audio technician for a bit, then switched to doing hard labor at construction sites. He never really seemed to find anything he particularly enjoyed. Plus, his time seemed limited as he also had to help out at home and take up other odd jobs to make a living. Seems like a pretty hard life. What happened next could be considered part two to his dream of becoming a killer. The movie he watched as a kid was a start, for sure, but this next thing definitely set things in motion. The year was 2001. Huang was around 26 years old at this time, and was still doing what I mentioned earlier, taking care of things at home and working here and there. At this specific moment, though, Huang was home, alone, and probably going through his daily routine of taking care of the house when he noticed something. It was a noodle cutter board. So nowadays, there are tons of different noodle cutting devices. Some are handheld and tiny, some are a little bigger and more professional looking. But the one that I'm talking about now, or rather the one that Huang saw, was one of those bigger and more retro style ones. It basically looked like a small wooden table with two smaller wooden planks coming off on one side, so you would use the larger wooden plank to hold and drape the noodles while you cut it into strands. I am not sure if any of that made any sense, but I will be posting pics of this so you can get a better idea. So Huang saw this noodle cutting table and he got an idea. Maybe it's partly due to his weird creative mind, but he decided to lie down on the table. I can only imagine how uncomfortable that must have been, as it was small and could barely fit one person. Huang wasn't exactly a big guy though. He was maybe around 5'6", or 170 centimeters, and judging from his photos, he probably weighed very, very little. Lying on the noodle cutter table, he realized how this would be the perfect killing machine. How you even get to that conclusion is very strange indeed. 
but I don't expect most people to be able to relate. At least I hope not. The noodle cutter table was old and dusty. The wooden planks were chipped, and the whole thing was in pretty bad shape. But he knew exactly what he needed to do. He first replaced the smaller boards with bigger and newer boards, then painted the whole thing green, hoping to give it a newer and more vibrant look. You know, as opposed to something super sketchy, dusty, and old. When he was satisfied with the way it looked, he decided to give it a name. Obviously, this thing had a Chinese name. So the best and most direct translation would be the quote-unquote smart Trojan. The more unappealing translation would be something like the intelligent wooden horse, but I think smart Trojan sounds a lot better. The name sounds pretty clever and just mysterious enough, but not so mysterious that it sounds shady. If anything, it kind of sounds like a puzzle. And I think this was the effect Huang was going for. And as you'll see, it definitely worked in his favor. At this point, Huang was still living alone. He had the perfect location to carry out his killings, and he also had his perfect tool, though a bit strange. All he needed now was to find someone he could try his device on. He went through his options and finally decided he would target teenage boys. He wanted to target someone easy enough, both physically and mentally. He knew that teen boys were generally easier to impress and convince, and he also knew that these boys had very little knowledge of the outside world. In other words, they were just more naive and trusting. Killing young boys isn't exactly picking on someone your own size, but he crossed out children as they were too vulnerable and easy, and he crossed out older adults because they were more vigilant. He also crossed out women in general because he's worried about being seen as someone picking on the weaker sex, and somehow that would hurt his masculinity. Imagine that logic. He's going to kill younger boys and he's concerned about his masculinity. Also, teenage boys can clearly be weaker than a grown-ass man, so that logic, to me, does not make any sense. Doesn't matter what I think anyway, though. Since this case is from years ago, and I highly doubt he would have listened to reason either. So, Huang is finally out looking for a vulnerable target. He traveled to the more urban part of the town, and literally spent half a day scouting for victims. I guess he had a type in mind, so it was really important for him to follow through with his plan. Eventually, a teen boy showed up and Huang was immediately like, that's the one. The boy's name was Wang Ping. He was a high schooler. Huang immediately approached the boy and explained to him that he was looking for students and wanted to help them out with their tuition. As an adult, I'm sure this sounds extra fishy, but maybe if you're younger and your family isn't doing so well, you want all the help you can get. Wang was probably more naive, wasn't yet aware of how dangerous the world could be. Or maybe he thought he'd check it out anyway, and if something went wrong, he could make a run for it. Wang accepted Huang's offer and returned home with him. Huang told him that he wanted to evaluate how intelligent his candidates were, so he needed Wang to try out this device called the Smart Trojan. If he managed to use his skills and smarts to free himself while he was tied to the Smart Trojan, 
Huang would gladly grant him the money. He tried to make it sound like it was some IQ test, as if only the smartest people could figure it out. And to try to make this deal look even more convincing, Huang even got on the smart Trojan and demonstrated how it was done. Maybe this was all it took to convince the boy, because he quickly got on the smart Trojan, aka noodle cutting board, his head resting between the two boards facing the ceiling, his hands tied to the board. Just as he started to try and free himself, Huang took out a piece of cloth and wrapped it around Wang's neck. In a matter of minutes and some struggling, Wang was dead. Okay, let's quickly talk about his method. Doesn't this sound like John Wayne Gacy, kinda? You know, he's like, I'm a clown, ha ha ha. Let me put handcuffs on you and see if you can free yourself. And while you're struggling like a dummy, let me murder you. Huang successfully killed his first victim, and it was a lot easier than he had anticipated. He was super excited, but his excitement soon died down when he realized he didn't have a plan that went beyond killing someone. What do you even do with a dead body? If I'm not mistaken, one of the last things Huang wanted to experience at that moment was to get caught. For him, he just started living the life he always wanted. But how do you get rid of a body? He went through different options, weighed the pros and cons calmly, and eventually decided that the safest place would be his own backyard. It would be safe because it's generally off-limits to everyone else, and he could always keep an eye out just in case. He dragged the body off his smart Trojan and took a butcher knife, dismembered Wang's body, and buried him in the backyard. As for Wang's belongings, he threw them in the fire so he could destroy any evidence that could link Wang to his house. This took hours, but when he finished, he was very satisfied and proud of himself for pursuing his dream, for making his dream come true. Clearly, this person needs help, and it's crazy how detached he seems to be from other people and society as a whole. The interesting thing is that he knew what he did was wrong, but it was not enough to curb his urges. Although his first kill ever was successful, in a manner of speaking, he still decided to play it safe. Victim 1 was murdered in the year 2001, and Huang decided to wait a full year to resume his hobby. During the summer of 2002, Huang made a trip to the city, and this time he met a young man named Wu Fei. The two struck up a conversation, and after learning that Wu worked odd jobs at construction sites, Huang was like, listen here, I have this great job offer that could change your life, blah blah blah. Come on, come with me and I will show you. Wu maybe thought it sounded like a great deal, and maybe he also didn't think he was in danger. So he agreed and went home with Huang. The same trick was used on Wu. Huang showed him the smart Trojan and told him that this device tested his reflexes, and if he passed, he would get this one-in-a-lifetime amazing deal of a job. Wu, of course, got on the smart Trojan, lay face up, while Huang tied his arms and legs up around the wooden plank. Wu began to struggle, and immediately, Huang grabbed a piece of cloth and strangled him to death, the same way he had killed Huang. Wu's body was also dismembered and buried in the backyard, 
pretty much right next to his first victim from a year ago. Clearly, Huang had started to develop his own method, and having been twice successful, he is now more confident and sure of his dream of becoming a serial killer. Of all things one could dream of becoming, though, Huang didn't want to get caught or arouse suspicion, so he tried to wait for as long as he could to kill his next victim. Early the following year, about half a year later, in January of 2003, he felt the urge to kill. He again left for the city and encountered a young man named Liu Nan. Liu was gaming at an internet cafe, and in Huang's opinion, this was the perfect place to find lazy young men and teens with zero motivation and ambition in life. His words, not mine. He began to chat with Liu and learned that Liu was into drawing and art. Well, 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 if that ain't a coincidence, and if that ain't the perfect hobby. Huang immediately told Liu that he was a bit of an artist himself, and that he had a decent collection at home. He convinced Liu to return home with him, and somehow got Liu on a smart Trojan, and he was killed the same way as the previous two victims. Maybe Huang was super friendly and was showing Liu his invention, something that only smart artistic people could figure out. Whatever the case, Liu trusted Huang, and in the end, he was buried in the backyard next to Wang and Wu. As you can see, the gap between his killings have shortened significantly. There was a full year between his first two killings, and about half a year between the second and the third. As for the third and the next killing, he only waited a month. I suppose he had become even more confident and obsessed with his new life, and as we know, when you really love your hobby, you make time for it and want to work on it as often as possible. This time, Huang really upped his difficulty though, very bold and very confident. He again traveled to the city and this time he found two teenage boys in a different internet cafe. Li Ming and Song Li were not really great gamers and both of them didn't even have enough money to continue playing. They may have sucked at gaming, but they really wanted to continue. Huang chatted with the two boys, and once he found out that they had no more money, he was immediately like, Oh, guess what I have at home? Yeah, he lured the two boys to his house, promising to give them cash. Doesn't that sound way too good to be true, though? Either these two guys were way too trusting, or maybe Huang promised to give them money if they helped him with some labor or work. I feel like that would make sense. What makes this killing different from the others is the fact that he lured two victims home at once, which, again, super risky. He knew he was overdoing it, but he couldn't help it. He decided that this killing had to be done in a different way, but what could help him control two people at once? This liquid we all know of called alcohol. He gave the two teens tons of alcohol, probably trying to be the cool uncle, and got them so drunk they barely fought back as they were being strangled. Before he disposed of the two bodies following his typical routine, he made a strange decision to chop off the hands of Lee. Just him, though. Why, you ask? This is another weird story that will require me to go off on a quick tangent. 
Bear with me. Apparently, Huang had a weird falling out with a guy a while ago whom he felt had wronged him. He wanted revenge, but nothing serious enough, nor was he looking to actually hurt this guy. Huang just wanted to freak him out a bit, so he got the dismembered hands, wrote a threatening letter demanding money, and left it in front of this guy's store early the next morning. Huang did not plan on meeting him and getting the money. Oh no, he wasn't that dumb. Like I said, all he wanted to do was to scare the guy a bit, nothing else. The man went to work at his store, saw the letter in the hands, freaked the fuck out, and called the police like a normal person. It caused a commotion, as this was not something that really happened every day. A crowd eventually gathered around the store, and guess who else was there? Yep, Huang returned to check out the scene that he had created. It's true what they say. Perpetrators do tend to go back to the scene of the crime, or pretend to be shocked and pretend to be helpful. Like murderers or arsonists, it's like they want to be a part of it, and secretly knowing what they know really turns them on or something. The police were unable to figure out who the victim was because Huang had apparently made sure he destroyed the fingertips on the hands, meaning no fingerprints. Huang was really smug and really confident by now. He would compare himself to the serial killers he saw in the movies, and since no one suspects him, he decided to continue down this path. So by March of 2003, Huang had already killed around 10 people. This is where we have good news and bad news. The bad news, he would end up killing more people. And the good news, he would be arrested by November of that same year. As you can see, he totally ramped up his killings. There was a full year between his first and second killing. And as the time between the killings got shorter and shorter, he seemed to have lost control. He was addicted to this feeling of power, of knowing what he has done, of who he is, and what he could do. So, in the beginning I told you that he would end up killing a total of 17 people. How did he get caught then? Let's look at victim number 18. This young man was called Zhang Xiang, or maybe Zhang Lei depending on the source, but I will just refer to him as Zhang. I consider him a victim, but unlike the others, he made it out alive. Zhang was originally from the same town where Huang lived, but he moved away years ago with his parents. In early November of 2003, Zhang decided to return to his hometown to visit his grandmother, whom he hadn't seen in years. During his visit, he also spent some time at the local internet cafe playing games. He figured he had spent so much time being a hard worker, he deserved some time off to play games. So, Zhang enters an internet cafe, sits down, and starts playing. The computer next to his is suddenly occupied a while later, and the man next to him starts to ask him about his gaming methods. The two began to exchange ideas. And when the mystery man's time was up, he invited Zhang over to his home to have lunch together. Super friendly guy, right? Yeah, I know you already know, but that dude was Huang. He was picking up his 18th victim at the internet cafe. After arriving home, Huang said whatever he could to convince Zhang to get on the smart Trojan. And once he did, Huang tried his usual trick, but to his surprise, 
Zhang was a lot stronger than he looked. Zhang basically managed to get on his feet, even while he was tied to the smart Trojan, but even though he was on his feet, he was still tied up and was not able to get far or move freely. A struggle ensued, and Zhang ended up puking and passing out. A few hours later, he woke up, and when he saw Huang sitting there, he pleaded with him not to kill him. Huang simply stated that if he wanted him dead, he would have been dead already. Can't argue with that. For the next couple days, Zhang was basically kept alive at Huang's house for reasons unknown. Zhang developed a fever, and Huang even went out and got him some medicine. It's strange. Almost feels like Huang is going soft on this specific guy. Maybe because this was the only victim that successfully fought back? Or maybe he suddenly lost interest in killing. What do you think it is? Huang even opened up to this guy, telling him about all the men he's murdered. It's almost like he was trying to bond with his victim. Or find an outlet. Zhang did attempt to escape a couple times, though unsuccessfully, and I do feel like he eventually tried to stay on Huang's good side, just to stay alive. A couple nights later, Huang wrote a quick note on a piece of paper and left it next to Zhang, hoping he would read it. The note roughly mentioned Huang feeling sorry for what he's done and that he wants to go kill himself. In his note, he asked Zhang to please bury him in the backyard once he's dead and to please, please, please not tell anyone about this, especially his family. What a strange turn of events, don't you think? Huang had been killing for a couple years already, and it seemed as if nobody ever suspected him, and he probably could have continued if he wanted to, or he could have just stopped and no one would ever know it was him. After Zhang saw the note, he begged his kidnapper slash attacker not to kill himself, I don't believe Huang was actually going to do it anyway, so I wonder what he was actually trying to achieve. The following morning, Huang let Zhang go. Alive. Imagine being that dude, having some random guy try to strangle you, then keep you tied up for a couple days. Of course you would be expecting the worst outcome. And yet, he got to walk out free and alive. But I believe after that incident, he would not be able to trust people the same way he did before. Zhang did not immediately head home after being let go because he was afraid Huang was playing games. He didn't want his attacker to secretly follow him home, just in case there was more to this. He spent the first night at a friend's house, and a couple days later, he finally decided to go to the police. I guess he needed time to process he maybe needed to go through his options. In a sense, it felt like Huang was manipulating Zhang's emotions a bit, first trying to kill him, then acting all helpful and kind by getting him medicine, caring for him and opening up to him, then turning sad and suicidal. The police initially did not believe Zhang's story, but when they heard that this guy admitted to killing tons of young boys and men, they decided to go check it out. Zhang led the police to Huang's residence, and there he was. If Huang had killed Zhang like he initially planned to, I believe he would have never been caught. Zhang would have ended up as just another victim in Huang's backyard. But if Huang continued killing, he would maybe eventually get caught. 
but doesn't it feel like he kind of just gave up? Or almost like he got sick and tired of what he had been doing. Huang was officially charged with the murder of 17 people on November 22nd, the youngest being 15, the oldest being 22, and 10 of his victims were underage. Although the official victim number is 17, many people believe it could have been as high as 25. I think it's pretty obvious what kind of punishment Huang received, as the police not only found all these bodies in his backyard, Huang himself also explained everything in detail, pretty much admitting to all the murders. There really is no gray area with this guy. He was extremely forthcoming, which I guess is a good thing for everyone involved. But just because they know exactly what happened doesn't mean they don't have any questions for him. Huang explained to the police that he had always dreamed of becoming a killer, and knowing that he was at a disadvantage physically speaking, as he was small and thin, he decided to create the smart Trojan thing, where his victims would be tied up, giving him the advantage. Huang also admitted that while he was trying to lure in victim 11 from a bus station, he had spotted a woman there who told everyone that would listen that she was looking for her missing son. Her son happened to be one of Huang's victims. She even came up to him and asked if he had seen her son, and he, of course, said no. Although he claimed he felt no remorse or guilt, coming face to face with an anxious and grieving mother, he did begin to lose sleep afterwards. Maybe it was guilt, and maybe he just didn't understand that's what guilt felt like. Finally, the police questioned him about how he felt after all these killings, and Huang explained that he felt like he had mastered the skill of murder. And to be frank, he was sick of it. He didn't want to kill anymore. If anything, he wanted to turn himself in, but lacked the courage to do so. So I guess that's why he tried to use his final victim as a way to let the world know of his crimes. Fortunately and unfortunately, he got his wish. Let's take some time to discuss Huang's mental state. According to psychiatrists who took the time to study him, they all classified him as a psychopath. Huang's upbringing was pretty lonely, but it wasn't exactly terrible either. Professionals believe that it mostly came down to what he was like as a person. He was a loner. He was quiet and reserved. He did not stand out in school. He had strong repressed feelings and an intense imagination. And it seemed as if he only managed to feel alive when he saw movies about killing people. That doesn't mean people who like watching murder shows or listen to murder podcasts are all weirdos and want to kill others. I believe for most of us, we want to understand why these things happen, and better yet, how to prevent them. Huang was more or less detached from society, unable to understand his peers, nor did he ever wish to be a part of them. He would continuously spend more time in his own head, which I guess made him lose touch with reality. He knew exactly how to lure his victims in, how to come off as a trustworthy guy. It almost feels like he was an addict, knowing that his addiction is bad, but still, he couldn't help himself. Professionals also labeled Huang as an organized killer, which I guess makes sense, considering he managed to kill so many people and was probably only caught 
because he let himself be caught. As you may have guessed, Huang was sentenced to death. Here is a brief timeline. He was arrested and charged on November 22nd. He was tried and sentenced on December 9th, and he was executed in late December on the 26th. It's crazy, isn't it, how quickly everything moves? It took less than two months for him to get taken into custody, charged, put on trial, and executed. When Huang was asked by a reporter, what would you like to tell those young men obsessing over video games? He responded, don't believe what strangers tell you. I need to point out some things before I end this episode. First, some of the names of the victims are very conflicting, depending on which source I go with. Some sources don't even list the names of the victims, probably out of respect. I mentioned this once before. The attitude some Asian cultures have towards victims is very different from those in the West. Maybe in the West, it feels respectful to refer to the victims by their names and not discuss the perpetrator. In some Asian cultures, the victims deserve anonymity because it's more respectful to leave the dead and their family members in peace. I think this is one reason why the names of the victims are kind of all jumbled up. Secondly, some sources state that Huang did not let his last victim go because he wanted to get caught. They state that Huang began to trust this young man for whatever reason, and he genuinely believed he wouldn't turn him in. Strange and delusional. Third thing to note, most families of the victims were able to take what was left of them home for burial or cremation. You must also have wondered at some point, did no one notify the police that a bunch of guys went missing? Surely the parents of younger boys must have, right? And yes, many people did go to the police to file missing persons reports, but they were all kind of dismissed. Once the truth came out, though, the local government and local police got in trouble for ignoring family members who reported their sons missing, probably dismissing them as runaways or whatnot, and for not being proactive when so many of them went missing in the span of, like, two years. How is that not suspicious, especially when they keep going missing under really similar circumstances? Many of these government officials and police officers were reprimanded and or punished, and the families of the victims received compensation and a good old apology. Lastly, some sources mention that after killing his victims, Huang would engage in sexual intercourse with the bodies. I cannot be sure if this is true or not, as not every source goes with this extra bit of information. Those who believe that he did engage with the corpses think that he might have realized that he was gay early on, but didn't know how to express himself. By killing them, he was able to be in control of the situation, which kind of allowed him to do whatever he wanted in secret. So, there you have it. The serial killer who literally grew up dreaming of becoming a serial killer. In a sense, he did accomplish his dream. But at what cost? Was it even worth it? Does this case sort of give you John Wayne Gacy vibes? A lot of people believe that society has become more distant and cold. And even when we see something that doesn't look or feel right, we don't feel the need to speak up. Some people question why Huang's neighbors were never suspicious, seeing so many people enter his house, and yet never see any of them leave.
How come so many young boys and young men went missing in the same town, yet no one seemed to realize there was a pattern? Why were the parents and family members ignored? I understand it can be a little tough to stand up to situations that you find strange sometimes. And how do you know you're not overreacting? I believe Huang's victims were very trusting and a little naive, and Huang was also able to give off an extremely harmless and sincere vibe. While it's not necessary to be rude to strangers, it is always necessary to have a healthy dose of suspicion. Thank you all again for tuning in. Please stay safe. Till next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness Podcast. If you enjoyed my content, please rate and review me on iTunes. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or email me at asianmadnesspod at gmail.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.